You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Okay, the wrap. We made it. The wrap. We've had three. This is the fourth of a new type of rollout that we're doing. So it was so good to explore that. At least I found it so good to explore something so in-depth and invite people along Hmm. to go in depth there i think it was a good way to explore research and deep dive and the big question is is data storytelling myth busting or myth building true true and i think it's myth building not myth busting so what i really took out of it that you know really struck me i think as we kind of spoke spoke to people is that like data is often pulled up almost as that it's going to it's going to be a new source of truth and i think it is but we're still human so we put a slant on things and particularly when we're having the chat with ali on bias and this notion that in even in kind of um, data visualization or kind of something that's really coming purely from the data there is still the act of the human to create the expression and in that expression there's bias Hmm. that was the big revealing point from ali it was a question by you and it was is there much bias um in data and she came from it from a customer point of view then a professional point of view and it was just riddled with bias yeah which was a great response very professional response um and also had laced within it methodology to try and battle through some of that bias yeah with her two by two matrix which i thought was really clever mm, Mm. and it really pulled into question that truth like feeling that you get of data where you can dive in and just pull a truth from it just like that um, which I feel like I had or not. Yeah, I suppose you did. And I think yeah. that's a conception that is around data is you ask it a question and if you craft it well enough, it gives this perception of pure truth, which I suppose is backing on to that mm. myth building. Yeah. Not myth breaking. No, it's not myth breaking. But yet the conversation we had, um, I guess they kind of kicked off our thinking around this with, with Stefan in terms of kind of the idea of governance in in data was you know that's all about kind of making sure that there's enough source so that um we can get a true picture right so that the actual picture that comes from the information is not distorted um just by the simple sense that you can't access it or there isn't a universal um, sense of it so i think that the data in and of itself is benign in terms of that it's just it's actually probably the closest thing we have as humans to a true reflection of who we are the real issue is is that we're still human and we don't actually like sometimes what the data actually shows in terms of it actually does act as a mirror back to us is that there is inherent in every human activity there is agenda there is agency um, in terms of actually how we act and the way that we actually go go about things so i thought it was you know kind of we started that discussion with stefan and we kind of concluded it with ali and we had this notion about data story and telling and yeah like i really kind of took out that the data piece is one part of it but it's actually it's in the storytelling that humans are we're still in it you know we're still active there is no truth 
because we will actually kind of um, put our own lens on the information that we actually, um, you know, will interpret it. That's so true. And that is really where the data narrative is at in terms of the data stack. It's like we've got very rich data, but it's how do we get people to connect with the insight? Hmm. We've got data science sitting there where they do have the insight, but they can't get people to connect with it. That's very much like the climate crisis you know it's hard for people to connect with it because it's not directly affecting them right now and it's how do you cast that narrative and it's been there for a while when you were just talking then it made me Mm. think data is essentially a shadow of yourself like Mm. it's that mirror image but we're slowly starting to piece together um, more of that shadow and getting more idea of what the sun is that casts that shadow i suppose in a way yeah but yeah how to get people to connect on a, on a big level and there's so many different actors in the space of treating data and informing people around that i suppose in terms of like you've got a stefan who's working at a global scale to develop ethics hmm. and sharing capabilities so people have access to the source um, and can solve some big problems. And then you got Ellie working um, as a consultant and as a data viz uh, person to be able to get people on the same page. So really use narrative and visualization so everyone can exist on the same level of understanding and can go forward. And that's where story is so handy hmm. for people to understand the same thing. They can take different bits from it because everyone's different, but to be able to know the same story, know the same visual is what can be so effective with data because it's hard to argue with. Yeah, for sure. And this this notion of kind of the the myth that, you know, has been the underlying kind of piece of really the interrogation into into data storytelling. You know, what, you know, we kind of asked this question before like kind of the the idea of the Sistine Chapel and kind of Michelangelo. It's it's broadly that, you know, he certainly wouldn't be painting a church today, but there was still a patron um, that paid Michelangelo to paint the Sistine Chapel in terms of the actual church, in terms of kind of creating this sense of of reverie. And, you know, we've always used information to be able to actually kind of um, craft narrative because it's it's innate to, to humanity. And, you know, I think it's been really interesting, even as we've been doing this, is that there's been this switch even in the climate um, story, you know, really under the Biden administration, the the smart part about what they've come at it with is that, yes, they're able to use the data to show that we clearly have an issue, but they've made two things. One, they've made the time frame much more real. So they've gone actually by 2030 rather than 2050. So that's something an administration can act on. We want to do this. And they've also made it about everyone's interest. So this is actually going to be job creating. It's actually going to create a new type of economy for our country. And, you know, I think that's to me is kind of, you know, it's just an, like a really nice um, example of how the data is exactly the same, but you could use it to deny or you can actually use it to tell um, a story of, I think, um, compromise in terms of that we're all going to have to do things differently. Um, or you can tell it through this lens of kind of that it's all hopeful and it's actually going to be kind of um, creative. The data is exactly the same. You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organizations, and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact, and transact. Your hosts, Patrick Beggs of Per Production, a production house that works with organizations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them, and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co.
If you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations. The context has allowed for that story to emerge. We've just come out or in the midst of COVID-19 where everything's changing. I feel like mm. there's a few people who say never let a great, opportun- a great crisis go to waste. Yeah. And that would be so true for administrations and, and people all around who have felt that effect. Like it's really a moment for things to bud and change. And I feel like the foundations have been shaken enough for new ways to contextualize the crises that we have to face as as a society, as a humanity, really. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah, no, so, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. But yeah, that frame of data, what you're saying there, mm. it is so, mm. it's tangible. It's just the same thing, but done differently, but also has a galvanizing effect, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of the, you know, that's, uh, you know, the if the data is is truth and it is kind of reflective of our, of our behavior, you can kind of do one of two things with it. You can argue that that's not true or you can actually kind of go, well, it is true, but it's true in this way. Mm. And, you know, really what I've taken out of, um, you know, the last kind of um, four weeks in looking into this is that it's actually, it's in that. It's actually that it's true in this way. And let me make sense of the information for you in this way. Mm. That is actually where the art of kind of being able to actually tell stories through data actually is and that's that's forever thus i mean Mm. i think that's that's what it is to be human that we we craft and we tell story and we kind of um, put narrative and kind of um, totems and figures together to be able to make sense of our world and as we enter into a digital world i think it's interesting that we're still bringing ourselves with us Mm. and you know kind of as the caveman painted the picture um, we now have data visualizers painting a picture yeah, it's true. And we also have data um, scientists understand and behavioral scientists. I suppose we never got there about how we're so easily manipulated mm. and what data sets can do to us in terms of deeply understanding our shadow. Because before it adds that different layer, you're really going off either small analysis of case studies to try and get that behavior understanding. But now you've got this capture this net of being able to understand a a populace a a cohort um, and be able to dissect that data and understand how that shadow plays and then be able to play that play with that shadow yeah and playing with that shadow plays with the society and how that body moves which is an interesting one and goes around who owns the shadow and who owns the body Um, because now the shadow is starting to play and the body's moving it's a yeah, well, it's the it's what Stefan said, like, you know, that really kind of stayed with me is that talking about kind of um, data literacy and understanding that as the citizen in this age is that you there's an onus on you to actually understand um, data source and kind of be able to actually understand where things actually come from. And, you know, and I think we live in a world now where it is actually possible um, in quite a few simple steps. Like if you think about like if I had to fact check, I don't know, something today. I can just pick up my phone and start to dig into that. Now, I may not get to the answer, but if you think back, even um, our parents' generation, to fact check something, they actually had to go to a library. Mm. They actually had to work through kind of um, the abstracts and be able to actually work through kind of a, you know, a Dewey Decimal System to figure out how things were actually um, indexed and co- Whereas now, you can actually, you can do that cursory check 
your yourself but it's but then it's that hmm. where this is where you get the intersection where we're talking about yeah. it. it's easy to back up your contention with data because data is just another skill set in a storyteller's tool bag yeah so that post truth error that's where we're getting that cross section and yeah everyone can dig deep and back up their bias hmm. so it's a hard to meet in the middle like that's where i feel like data has a strength but also is hmm. it's its own kryptonite yeah but it's it's like I don't, I don't know i mean i think it's it's like anything if you live if you live in your own bubble you live in a bubble right and that's that's just the the reality but of, that's the design reality that's that oh, shadow I element i i totally i totally yeah. get that I think, though, that part of that literacy of understanding yeah. that that part of your life is is a bubble. So if you whatever information like, you know, you just um, not to pick on them, but if you take Facebook, whatever you get from that is an algorithm feeding you back what it believes you want to hear to keep you there. Mm. Right. So it can actually serve you up more ads. Now, I think more and more people are understanding that that's its intention. Whereas I think, you know, there's an also another part is that your intention as an individual in a data age is what mm. what is your intention what is it Which i don't you think many people bring? know i no. hardly know on a daily basis like <laughs> you know it takes time it it to think about it yeah and a lot of no. people don't have the, the luxury to think about it other than no. going to work helping family but i think it's this. coming like it's people's coming awareness sure. right people's that educational model around like yeah. we, whose data is it is still so primitive For sure yeah in but, terms of what the set is out But did there. you leave this kind of feeling more um, optimistic that it will come or did you feel more pessimistic? Optimistic, but eyes open to the complexities and nuances of it. And that I think we're only at the very tip of the iceberg and underneath the sea, there's, there's a massive, massive... Um, continuation of that iceberg that i don't even know what that looks like really. yeah like i mean life is life is changing fast mm. right and it's really kind of it's it's yeah it's i mean i think everyone in history has always felt that at a particular moment in time but it is truly changing in terms of the, this notion that like everything we actually do like data is almost it's the new energy source it's the new way that we can actually create value in a world and everything's being layered and layered and layered and cut and refined on top of on top of all of this and i think it's kind of then you know just as you start to understand how like an electricity system works <laughs> right or how a machine in the factory works it's that that's kind of where where we're at is mm. that you know this kind of um you know as a as a citizen you start to realize that wow this is what yeah um, people are actually actually using and and doing and that's where the power of narrative is and you can start to pull a few bows and mm. understanding people's strength in owning their own narrative i think ties into that open source data open source technology that mm. is going around you can even tie it in i'm a football mm. fan and tie yeah. it in with the fans fighting back around the super league like yeah the individual collectively has an enormous amount of power and mm. I think this springboards in, I know you and I have been talking about going into talking about inequality and what inequality means mm. in our next deep dive, because I don't feel like I fully understand what inequality is, but we've been talking about K-shaped recoveries and it's, it's a big thing that's happened as a result of COVID and mm. 
what do you feel? You feel yeah. still strong that it's a good one to dive into? Yeah, yeah. And like, I, I think, you know, the, like the, the Super League thing is, is probably like an interesting contextual case study of, of that. So is it inequality or is it actually that things are unequal? Because what I, what I really feel people's yeah, reaction to that was that there's no, there's no fairness in that. There's no even competition in it, right? And you expect me as the fan to sit here and kind of, you know, that's why I actually love football right um, in terms of like not kind of um, AFL football and not kind of American football but actual football in terms of kind of that you know that's why I'm in it because people do get relegated they do get sent down there is this kind of this uh, jeopardy um, you know that I've kind of read a few people write about that is inherent in the sport and that's why you support your team because you're all in it together but that's that like attention yeah. dynamic that's playing in hmm. it's that the fans are like well if you're gonna do that we're the ones that hold the attention. So if yeah. we switch our attention, you're worthless. Your yeah. assets crash. Yeah. And that's sure. the whole move that they're like, we want to create the Super League so our assets hold and build. Yep. And they're like, well, if you want to do that, we actually hold. Hmm. And I think understanding that you hold that power is an empowering thing that's happening more and more. But maybe that's something to look, in, look into as part, part of all of that. Because I, you know, my, like if I had to do the summation of what they've actually misunderstood is that to them, there's no jeopardy in their life, right? So the reason, like the true reason you go, certainly in, in my experience of, of English football and kind of, you know, following terrible teams for a long period of time. Full form. Well, in AFL context, but kind of Nottingham Forest and, you know, my granddad kind of followed Port Vale, smaller clubs, mm. you know, that both had kind of moments of glory in, in their past. But the true reason you rock up and actually sit in the stands is that there's a sense of shared jeopardy, is that we could win, we could lose, we might get promoted, we might go down. And I wonder if this kind of this group kind of forgot that because in their life, is there any jeopardy? Like in terms of when you actually get to that status and this idea of kind of, you know, the billionaire versus the kind of the the small kind of bloke from Bolton, I think is kind of really, it's our age that we actually live in is that digital has kind of, it's taken all the winnings and pushed them to one group of people and that that idea that kind of you know there's a lot of people underneath all of that that actually don't have the same thing and that's what i get really interested in is that i don't even know that we should look at it through the, the word inequality because it feels like it's more about that it's just unequal mm. or that it's just a rigged game and that's what i kind of am that's interested what I in find investigating. So interesting that yeah. what that says is it really is the power of your attention and i think that's where ownership of data and understanding that mm. that where your attention is is actually what builds the future and what you focus on and that's where i really get excited about that data conversation and that's like my narrative brain drawing dots together and exploring that and how they sit together and that's why i got excited about the super league example of what that meant and yeah. the fans response so yeah i think that's a good way to frame it but all right we'll dive into it cool well that sounds really really great yeah. so uh yeah. tell us if you don't like that idea but yeah. i think we're gonna run with it <laughs> or we might not. no we're not so please tell us <laughs> no <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right, Joe. Till next time. All right. Till next time. Cheers, Pat. Thank you for listening to BAU, Business as Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's B-A-U-P-O-D-C-O.